Hey, yo, yo, yo. No, I'm joking. Jay is not here today. It's just Quana and I. Quana was our hey. guest on last on the last episode, Silver Daughter Part One. So we're here recording part two. Um, you're gonna get Fawn and Katie style. I, I don't have the J voice, so you're gonna bear with me for this episode. But anyways, Fauna, how you doing? I'm good. I'm just, you know, holiday just happened, still exhausted. Uh so much uh just so much like, you know, for me showing up differently for holidays as a sober person. I got to, you know, put a lot more effort and thought into what I do and taking time for myself because when I'm exhausted, I feel it. And um yeah, but I'm happy to be here though. So, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Yes, before we started recording, Fauna and I were talking like we are exhausted. Like we're not <laughs> going to lie, we're not going to sugarcoat it. Um it's been a very busy and hectic, you know, couple of weeks. And the work we're doing is important, but it's also really important that we rest. Um but we did want to record this before <laughs> the new year, <laughs> which is coming up in a couple of days. Uh, before we get into it, so basically we're going to be talking about how Fauna got sober and the things she committed to after she left, I believe, the facility. Uh, I believe it was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Where was the facility at? Uh, Utah. Utah. If you don't know what we are talking about, go back to part one and listen. Um, mm-hmm. Before <laughs> we begin the conversation, I do have a couple of good news. So one, uh-huh. Silverbackers Club finally received their five... 031C status, taxism status. I am so, 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 so happy about that. It just means um, many things. Specifically, what I'm going to say now is that you have no excuse not to donate to the club. You can donate and then write it off when it comes to tax season, right? So now we have the 5031C status. No excuse, no excuse, no excuse. Um, secondly, we are hosting a dry January campaign. So if you are someone who is on the fence about sobriety, wants to give it a shot, um, Maybe you just need a break from alcohol. If you are that someone or you know that someone, definitely tell them to follow us on our Instagram page and our Facebook page, not Facebook group. Well, you can join the Facebook group, but Facebook page where every day um, throughout the month of January, we're going to be posting inspiration, motivation, tips, um, we're going to be hosting IG lives. I'm really excited. Lastly, um, Jay and I are going to be taking a break. So after this episode, we're going to be taking a break um, throughout the month of January. And we're going to come back with season two of the Black Girls Club podcast in the month of February. Hopefully the first week, we'll have an episode out and ready. Um, you know, again, we need rest. <laughs> we need to breathe. And I really hope that anyone listening, if you've been... Um, feeling exhausted if you've been feeling drained please listen to your body like oh my gosh it's so 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 important okay even after my addiction i refused to listen to my body overworked my body in many different areas and um i think i shared this before but like in june or january of this uh, june or july of this year you know i found out i was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and i was like what the f is that blah 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 blah, blah. and i'm like i am too young to have arthritis right but then i realized i learned through doctors and through my own research it was really brought on by stress right and here i am right now stressing my body <laughs> so i know firsthand how serious it is to like continue 
driving the boat when it's time for you to stop, right? Stop. Listen to your body. Pay attention to your body and respect your body. All right. I think I'm done. I think those are the three announcements I had. Jay's not here. She's not feeling well. Um, I guess that's the fourth announcement. Anyways. Okay. So, <laughs> so we left off. First of all, Fauna, folks love the episode. So we're doing a part one. They love it. They love it. They love it. Someone even commented last week and said, I'm waiting for part two. And I'm like, girl, relax. Like, really. <laughs> relax. Relax. Yeah. I know I said that, like, we were going to get you the episode the following week. But, y'all, honestly, when I say things like that, please take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> we tried our best, though. It's holiday time. Take it with a grain of salt. Like, we are human beings with emotions and and, and hormones and uh, everyday life situations with rheumatoid arthritis, like... <laughs> things don't always go as planned but we try so the last time we spoke um we left off with you being in utah at the facility um mm. do you want to get into like how that went for you and, and what happened after you left like how did you start your recovery after you left um the facility yes well whew, i'm so glad to do this and you know that we get to chop it up and make a part two because it's a wild story uh i'm glad so many people listened in but um yeah so when i got to the facility um i was i was i i had no idea i was there first of all um i hope you know some people who are getting sober can kind of relate and maybe feel a little comfortable knowing that like my first few months are were like a blur and I I took notes I took notes and had a little journal throughout the whole thing because I couldn't I couldn't understand what was going on um but I got there and I was in um full alcoholic psychosis and um I had you know DTs I, which means, you know, my body was withdrawing from alcohol and was convulsing and shaking. I had seizures. I had wet brain. I got everything. And that's another thing for people that think that, like, alcohol is not the hard-hitting one. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you can die from an alcohol withdrawal. Please seek medical attention. Do not do it on your own um, if it is severe. But so I took... 10 days in detox. And um, I remember just, I was hallucinating. I was seeing things. And one moment out of nowhere, this nurse was looking at me straight in the face and I just snapped. I snapped back into it and I was there. And um, I believe that was my parents pulling me through because people typically don't come back from wet brain stage two, which I had. Um, and then, you know, I just, it took me forever to just figure out, like, I'm sober. Like, because when, before I went in, I couldn't, I couldn't not drink to face the day. I couldn't not have alcohol in the morning. I couldn't not have alcohol to stop my anxiety and my shakes. I couldn't have, like, I couldn't sleep without alcohol. So it really was just like this, oh my God, I, I haven't drank today. I haven't drank another day I haven't drank wow. and I really was you know that's when a concept to me of like hope and like something bigger than me 
because I was like, you took a black girl from LA, dropped her in the snow. It was five feet of snow in Utah, only black person, four miles. <laughs> and I'm sober. Like I'd never been sober since I was like 15. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I, I, I was just like, I'm, I don't want to lose this, whatever this is. I don't want to lose this. And I just started doing, you know, all the things that were suggested to me. And I got to talk about so many things that I didn't know, you know, we don't get to process when we're drunk or when we're high, you know, like we're masking every emotion and every discomfort and every pain so that we don't have to feel it. So I was actually feeling my feelings for the first time. And I had to learn, you know, how to sit in that discomfort, how to share openly, how to tell people what was coming up for me. I didn't even know how to name my feelings. I didn't even know how to, like, express what was making me so sad. And um, the more I practiced different tools of, like, being rigorously honest Um, being, you know, face to face with somebody and not hiding and telling them what was going on and looking at why I did the things that I did. And really it was all because I was trying to escape pain. Mm. Like I had no threshold. I thought I would break and I did because I didn't have any tools to live life. I didn't have, I grew up, you know, with my immigrant family and we didn't talk about grief support. We didn't talk about, you know, what's going on with you emotionally. It's like, what grade did you get? You know, (laughs) what, what, what's your summer job look like? You know, I didn't know how to process anything. I didn't know how to share. I didn't know how to ask for help. And that all just broke me. And I got to learn, like, I could put my hand out. I could, you know, ask, like, I, today's too hard for me. I just helped me. And the people, you know, would tell me, just take it a day at a time. Take it an hour at an hour. And just hold on to the fact that you're sober. And that's a miracle for you. And you can get through to the next day. And I've been stringing together days for almost four years now. But for me, my sobriety really blossomed when I was in, back in LA. Um, You know, it took me a long time to get physically well. I was really, really bad off. And so it took me a long time to like, actually remember things and and show up and and be all in a functioning person and um for me i used a program that um some people are familiar with some people may not be um i used um a program and um i you know we don't name the name we don't talk about it because there are many different approaches And, um, you know, it's really what resonates with you and keeps you feeling as honest and clear and happy. And I got, um, I got a mentor. She was, you know, she had everything that I really wanted to embody. She was genuinely herself. 
She was authentically herself. She showed up places. She was like, you know, this badass, like, I don't give a fuck. I am here as me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be anything else. And I'm going to be accountable for how I show up. And all these, like, tools of, like, how to be a good human, actually. And, you know, the more and more I did that and built my community, I was, like, surrounded by all these other sober girls who were walking through, like, really huge things in life. And I don't think people know that, you know, you're, you can be physically one age, but you can be emotionally and maturely a different age. And for most of us, and we start drinking really young, our, our gr um, emotional growth level has stopped at like 16 or 18. So we're navigating things that other people have been through and walked through that we haven't done yet. And you need a crew. And even if you, if you have been through certain things, I feel like for me, I forgot a lot of things I've been through. I forgot how I overcame a lot of stuff. And I don't think I was ever diagnosed with blood brain or anything like that. But it doesn't matter. Like you said, alcohol does diminish our capacity to remember, to think straight. It is what it is. So certain mm -hmm. things, like now in my sobriety, my recovery, I'm like, wait, oh, I've been through this before. How did I handle it? Or, oh my gosh, I remember reading this book in fifth grade and how much joy it brought me. Let me read it, read it again. Well, you know what I mean? We have to re-remember the things that you've been through, your experiences, and put them all together. You said a number of things. So two things I wanted to ask you. So one, do you not mention, Do you? is it like a personal value or goal that you do not mention the program you're in? Is it yes. a personal? Okay. Yes. So moving on to the second thing then. <laughs> and then, and it's, it's so important. Everyone listening, hopefully you know that SBGC, we don't endorse any one way of reaching sobriety, of recovering, right? We welcome all pathways as long as they are respectful and um, inclusive. We welcome it. So we always try our best to abide and respect folks' boundaries, the boundaries of the organization or the program that one is following. So that's that. All right, moving on. Girl, you said that you really um, began to recover in LA. And for me, when I hear it, like, I've always wanted to move to Atlanta, but I'm scared. I'm like, really? Even though I'm from New York and I get it, but I was born in New York City. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But for me, it's like when I hear LA and Atlanta, I just think like drinking, drinking, hot people, hot people, drinking, partying, yeah. hot people, drinking, sex. <laughs> this that that's what I think about um so what was it like recovering in LA and do you have any and I, I can remind you of this question because it's a double question do you have any tips for anyone who's in LA and is currently struggling because it's LA like hello the sun is out I don't know like <laughs> sun, nice weather fine people there's temptations for me okay yeah um, but yeah let's hear it girl Oh my God. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you asked that because it was the wildest thing. I'm born and raised in LA. So like, this is my stomping ground. This is my hood. This is my scene, you know, but I was not ever sober. So coming back to LA as a sober woman, it was like a, whole, a brand new city. I mean, 
I experienced LA like a new person almost till this day still because I never did things in LA one really in the mornings <laughs> really outdoors really in like kind of conscious community like really high vibration like beautiful things I was in I was at night it was 11 p.m. Mm. You catch me just leaving out the house. I was up till six. I was with some crazy people. I was at crazy places. And, you know, the type of dudes or whatever I meet. And I see, if I were to do that now, I'd be like, oh, God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just, it's all good, <laughs> but it's not my, it's not my vibe. So it's really cool when you get sober. And I think any city that you've lived in is to see it through new sober eyes because you look for different things. And I came to LA and I just, I found like all these cool little pockets of like people that were doing groups, people that were doing like big meetings, people that were like rising up at like seven and like meeting on the beach and like yes. all, all this cool ass shit. And then I became part of this sober fellowship in LA and I just met the most amazing, cool ass people. And we all, you know, one put our mental health first. Love we it. put our sobriety first. We put our community first. And we did what felt, you know, authentic to us. And we, everybody, no matter where they came from or what type of sobriety program they had, there was one rule and it's suit up and show up. Love it. You show up for your sober community because you remember how hard it was to get sober. And you remember that we cannot get sober alone. And so it just ingrained all this like really cool stuff in me where like people tell me if it's a sober thing, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going. Yes, I will support you. Yes, I'll show up because this shit can be hard and it can be so beautiful. And just a little side note, <laughs> LA sobriety is one of the best in the country. As we have the most running meetings of all kinds of any city. And we have the most diverse, different types of meetings and fellowship and groups. So if you want to boogie down like a, um, in Venice or if you down in Crenshaw and, and you down, you know, they got a car show that comes out after. They go to the dance after. They have sober clubs. I mean, we, we, we got sobriety out here. I love that. I was telling Fauna earlier that most likely... 98.9% our next retreat is going to be in LA because hello, hello. Uh, the vibe is just a vibe. It's an unmatched vibe. And I do know a couple of people who do fellowship in LA and they told me about like having meetings on a beach and like, you know, they're, they're all black meetings and this and that. And I'm just like, I love that. I love that so much. I think like everything you just mentioned is the reason why like, I love LA. Like we were talking about like cities in the West Coast and I was like, LA. <laughs> like yeah. and I think like what you just said it, it is different like really experiencing things differently and thank you so much for being vulnerable I think that like a lot of us sometimes we think we're gonna enter sobriety recovery and it's just going to be amazing that mm. generally isn't the case like I had mm -hmm. DTs too I think I had I was itching a lot like once I like I when yeah. I stopped, oh my gosh 
I hate. Yes, the hives. Yes. And the anxiety literally turns into your skin. That's why we got, we cannot do it alone because the weirdest shit happens. Like I, I had the shakes. I had the itches. All of a sudden I was terrified of going out in public. Mm. All of a sudden, like my emotions would be like laughing, crying, sobbing, like throwing up, laughing. Like it was just. But now I look back, I'm like that because when you say it with people that have been through it, it's like we got kind of like a little badge. Like we got through that, you know, Girl, before I even thought that addiction, I don't think I was in addiction at this time. This was like maybe like my second summer in law school and I had an internship um, at a law firm. So, of course, there was a lot of drinking, a lot of um, happy hour and Ramadan came up. So, you know, folks, I was a practicing Muslim. I do still identify as Muslim. Do I, do I fast? Yes. Do I, am I practicing like I was before? No. But anyways, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. During Ramadan, I always had a practice of not drinking. Like, it was just what it was. I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't have sex. Um, that's what I did during Ramadan. Like, I would abstain from all those things. Mm-hmm. The first day of Ramadan for that summer, I was itching like a mother effer. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And mind you, I'm over here at, in the city working for this law firm who they're trying to recruit me after law school. So they're giving me a bunch of alcohol. We're going to we're doing this on the weekends. We're, do, we're drinking at the bars after work. And it was the first day of Ramadan. And I was fasting and I was at work. And when I tell you, my, it felt like things was crawling on my yeah. skin. Like, it, I, didn't, I didn't know what was happening. I went to the doctors. We did all these tests. Nothing. I had to leave my internship early and come home um, in my hometown in New York City to go see my doctor. Nothing. I went back to law school where I picked up drinking again and I felt some type of relief, but I didn't put two and two together. And it wasn't until 2018, so this is maybe two two years later, when I realized, when I started feeling like that sensation again, that like I was in withdrawal from alcohol. And it's like, I bring this up because you say like, it's only us who are going to know these things. I saw mad doctors mm-hmm. since that internship, right? Um, and me returning back to law school. No one knew why I was itching. No one could tell me. No one asked me, Are you, do you drink? Like, and okay. at that time I was able to stop drinking because like I said, I was fasting. Well, I always think back, like imagine if someone just told me, your body is like withdrawing from alcohol. You need to stop. I yeah. always wonder what my life would have been like now. Because at that time, I was able to go 30 days without drinking. I did for Ramadan. But I yeah. had to do it like hooked up on like Benadryl to stop <laughs> inching, not knowing what it was. And the Benadryl didn't work. It just, it just knocked me out to sleep. So I was sleeping the whole time. But like you said, like only we know. And it's so true. I wish I knew someone who was in recovery or ex- or had, you know, experienced addiction or uh, substance abuse and could have been like, they could have been like, you know, you're probably withdrawing. Like, this is what you're doing. Because I was shaking too. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like violently, like later on in my addiction when I realized, okay, this is addiction. But I did have moments where I would drink um, and then stop and then like have like shakes. But I didn't even know it was called the shakes. I didn't know nothing about <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Um, so like yeah. you said, that's so true i wish i would have known someone i wish wish because it's true it's really just us like we just us just us and that's why we're so important to each other because it's one of those things where it's like you go through war and the people Mm. uh, can't understand unless you've experienced it and that's why we have this bond is because 
you do not understand what alcoholism or addiction feels like, literally, emotionally, physically, mentally feels like, Mm -hmm. unless you have it. And there are so many signs, like, I remember when I was, you know, at the end almost, well, a little bit before, because I still wasn't connecting the dots. But I was, I would get really, really shaky, but like sweaty. And I thought I was, I thought I was getting diabetes. Mm. Because I was like, I was like, oh my God, like, is my blood pressure dropping and my fingers are numb? Like they said, that's part of diabetes. And like, there's this weird pain in my back, like all these things. And I went to a doctor, nothing, (laughs) nothing. And didn't even ask me, Mm -hmm. how is your drinking look like? Honestly, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it was withdrawal. You know, you you withdraw violently from alcohol and no matter what it looks like, you you will get the effects sooner or later. But we do withdraw from alcohol and it is the deadliest withdrawal. And it is so, you know, if you're with people and you feel like, oh, I just maybe you're sober and you're like, I can go out again or I can do another run again. Mm-hmm. And it's like you need people that's been there to remind you, like, but can you make it through another withdrawal again? Ooh, yes. Can you make it through another bottom to get back up? Like, of course we could drink again, but could you get sober again? You know? And so I think it's so important that we have this community because it's those life-saving tools and tricks and all the things that only we're going to know to continue to share with each other. Girl, I'm just thinking, like, I would never want to go back to, it's the itching. I can't, I hate itching. Like, I hate <laughs> an itch. Like, um, and you just saying that, like, yeah, I, I never want to experience that again. And I know my body, like, even having this conversation, I'm itching. Like, I know mm-hmm. my body doesn't even want, and the body keeps score. So the body, my body remembers. Like, even when I smell alcohol with all, like, the hand sanitizers. Right. I have to like bring myself back because it's like my body starts twitching. It remembers. It keeps score. It knows that like, listen, if you even get a whiff of this and you don't pull through, we're going to come back with vengeance. Like the itch is going to come back. So (laughs) I totally like, no, I cannot go through that. I cannot go through another withdrawal. And I also want to know, like I have, I know a couple people who are not necessarily like in a sober community, but even when they drink, they get the shakes. And it's like, even during that summer I was itching right but I didn't consider myself an addiction but technically my body was dependent on alcohol if your body is craving something to the point where it is shaking Mm -hmm. or itching or moving or jerking that means you mentally might not be dependent on it yet but your body is physically dependent on it. And your mind is, it's only amount of time that your mind is going to follow it, you know? And the mind is the last one for us because mm. our mind tricks us mm. into thinking that it's still going okay. When our body is physically yelling, like, Stop. I'm not, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Mm. I'm now, I'm dependent I cannot, you can't stop because I can't function anymore. You've overloaded me so much that we cross the threshold. They say that there's this invisible line 
where, you know, people start with habituation or they, they just, you know, experiment, they do all the things, people drink for fun, they drink with their food, lightly, whatever, whatever. And then there's this invisible line. And those of us who already have genetically predisposed to addiction, or alcoholism, um, and, you know, or family systems that, you know, are alcoholic and all these things, we are 100% more prone to cross this invisible line that goes from the casual drinker to a person who is dependent upon substances to show up. And then to somebody who has full-blown addiction, where you literally cannot stop without medical attention. And when you get to anything beyond that invisible line, you cannot do it by yourself. You need help because your brain, our brain tells us we're fine. It's fine. It's fine because it doesn't want you to stop. And so you got to have a crew. And, and, and that's why I love what you guys do, because especially for us black people, you know, we don't have as much prevalent of like this sobriety, this mental health, this deep, deep, deep work. I mean, we've always had it, but it's, it's, it's not promoted as much as it really, really needs to be, especially when we deal with trauma of, of everyday life and just racism is trauma, you know, so we're predisposed in so many different ways. And um, we need people to know that like addiction will is happens in all, two out of five mm -hmm. and there's somebody you know it might be you and it's totally fine to talk about it and to get help and um I'm gonna you know that's why I do not care that I tell people I'm sober they're like aren't you nervous that you're just kind of like committing to that word and like you could never drink again I'm like that's the point yeah I don't like you I don't want to go back to itchy shaky like no mess like and I want people to know that we we got to show up for each other and it keeps me accountable. And I I need it just as much as the new person does. Yeah. And you brought up two very, really important points. Like our ancestors, they did focus on mental health. They did focus on sobriety before they were enslaved, you know. And about if you are African native, if you are an African American, Wherever you are in the diaspora, our folks did focus on that. We have traditions of honoring our bodies, honoring, you know, nature, honoring spirituality, not saying that they didn't have vibrations. They did, but it's not like they abused it in a way where we see now the part, the, the, the part that usually gets focused. Like I hear a lot of times, like black people, um, they lack like mental health care. And that's definitely true. But when we've been ingrained in a society that just focuses on productivity and our, mm -hmm. how much we can get done, um, uh, and tells us like, you are as worthy as your degrees. You are as worthy as your weight. You are as worthy as A, B, and C. We lost touch with our health, our mental health, our physical health, um, our spirituality, right? And we're just doing everything and anything that we can do to cope because we know this is unnatural. Even when we don't know, our body knows this is unnatural. Um, and we're just trying to figure out any way to cope. So we get a taste of alcohol. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I can escape, blah, blah, blah. And now we're abusing it. We're doing everything we can to avoid or um, sometimes you don't even realize 
that the answer is just going back into time and really looking at what our ancestors did. And I was one of those type of people who used to always be like, I don't know how I'm in addiction. My family's Muslim. Nobody drank, right? I was the first person who had this problem that I thought. (laughs) Then as I was doing research, because something just wasn't sitting right. And that's why that's, this is where the recovery community has me personally fucked up. Um, <laughs> when talk about race has no place in recovery. Um, addiction doesn't care. Let's be real, right? So it's the obvious racism, discrimination, and traumas that people of color, especially black people face, that makes them turn to alcohol or makes them think or confuses them to believe that alcohol is the only, or drugs, or the only relief they're going to get from everyday pressures. Then when we go back to history, we learn that we had ancestors, specifically Frederick Douglass and other enslaved folks who were addicted to alcohol because their capturers would give them alcohol um, to confuse them and to keep them domiciled, right? Mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass wrote a letter during the time of the temperance movement. And he wrote in that letter that America, the country, you say America, but the country at that time had a drinking problem and, and the alcohol was interfering with the morality of, of humans, of, of the com- people, of the community. And then the white folks created the temperance movement. <laughs> and when the enslaved folks try to join them in, they said, no, they said, you cannot join us in this movement. And then Frederick Douglass and other enslaved folks, other leaders had to create the black tempest movement. And they created tempest lodges in Philadelphia, in New York, Boston. Boston has a huge recovery history. Crazy. Love that crazy things that we don't even know so here i am thinking i don't know how this happened this is not in my ancestry blah blah blah. yes it is and yeah. there's so much that we don't know we just so much we don't know frederick Douglass always comes to mind because he's well known and it's easy to research about him and find this out this is not some. this is not like hidden history imagine other people and also, I remember like, the first year, I won't mention any names because I don't have permission to mention a name, but I remember like what the first year, maybe 2019, maybe that's not the first year, second year of SVGC, a civil rights leader, their daughter, the civil rights leader, who's pretty well known, not as well known as like, I'm okay. And again, it's just, it's just, you know, they just give us a couple of names. Hey, yeah, yes, <laughs> five years and yeah. be happy with this, but we have thousands of people who were fighting for our rights right but okay so this this civil rights leader a man um he is well known not really as well known as mlk and um malcolm x but he's 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 well known and his daughter told me that the dad had a drinking problem and that she couldn't believe that i saw the spgc and what this meant and she wants to tell her father's story but she doesn't want to disrupt his legacy yeah. mm-hmm. now let's be real how when i think about myself how foolish am i to believe that people who are fighting day in and out for freedom equality justice would not turn to something to relieve themselves of the pain and how easy 
Because when you're fighting, you know, we see MLK, we see, um, you know, Rosa Parks, and we're just like, oh, they're, you know how much trauma they must have faced to overcome oh, yeah. and do what they did? That's traumatic. You People think that we like to fight. No. You know, when I get on stages and I'm speaking and I'm talking about, you know, equality and recovery spaces, do I enjoy that? No, I'm nervous. I don't want to raise my voice. I don't want to have to go back and forth. I don't want to look like I'm an angry black person, even though I'm angry as hell when we talk about this. So imagine these folks who are literally living during a time of lynching, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. easily being able to go missing and no one, no one knows, getting killed, getting murdered. Just for being black and standing up for themselves, of course they would have some type of um, codependency issue. Of course they weren't given therapy at that time. They weren't being told to take care of your mental health at that time. And some of them probably felt obligated to to pursue justice, regardless of where they were mentally or their addiction. So it, it makes a lot of sense. And I'll end this by saying that even like Tamika Mari, who is, um, I know a lot of people have different opinions about her, whatever, I don't care. Um, that's not the focus of me bringing her up. But even she, um, a civil rights leader, I what organization she's as- associated with, but her name is Tamika Mari. She was associated with BLM. BL- um, but I don't know if she is now. Something Freedom, I don't know, Google her. Um, she came out recently and said that she was codependent on pills. Mm-hmm. How does that not make sense? When you're constantly in the face of violence, arguing, do you think people just want to wake up and argue all the time? No. That's that's hard on the body. That's hard. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love everything, everything you said, because it's true. And there has to be, I mean, when you talk about addiction, especially in America, right, there has to be an honest, transparent conversation about the socioeconomical relationship to addiction, to minorities, to disparaged and marginalized communities, to communities that are always kept in survival mode, always under pressure. That part. And the relief is a liquor store on every fucking corner. Mm -hmm. And it's not a gym and it's not a park. And it's not, you know, a system built to have holistic life. It's built to have trauma, release, trauma, release. And if you don't have tools and if you don't have a family that's built that kind of system, of course you're drinking. I drank. That's what, that's what it looks like. And, you know, I I love that you talk about our history because we are not, our history doesn't begin with slaves. You know, and we are from a people that are deeply, deeply, deeply spiritual and that are deeply connected to their bodies, to nature, to energies, to the natural rhythm and flow of life and also community. And when we have um, African-American black experience, you know, they have purposely stripped Mm -hmm. so much of what weaves our strength. And that's community and that's spirituality and that's this, you know, deeply embedded feeling of taking care of each other. And we would bring, you know, different medicines to each other and we would bring healing and we would sing and all these things. And as our country just is, you know, more and more capitalistic every day, we're just consumers, 
you know, all you can do is drink and like get through the day. And that's not a way to live. That is one, not sustainable. You will crash. Um, you will. And two, like that's just killing our power. And I think one of the strongest ways for us to rebuild and to stand up is really the sobriety movement because it's kind of a fucking fuck you freedom <laughs> fight. I think it's an activist movement because, they, like you said, they have tried to dumb us down. They have tried to over-medicate us. They have tried to over-indulge um, us with the fucking processed foods. We don't have restaurants. Yeah. We have KFC, we have McDonald's, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is, this is a, this is a system built to keep us sick and low and down. And when you fight against that and you get sober and you're clear and you're showing up with tools and you're helping your community, it doesn't have to be all altruistic all the time, just being sober yeah. and like then you're more conscious. What do I put in my body? Like, I'm going to meditate today. I'm going to take practice self-care today. I think those are all radical acts. I really do. And I love it. I, I'm just like, I think it's so much bigger than just being sober. And I think it is one of the ways that, you know, we get to break chains of oppression. I totally agree. I totally uh like so many of us think and feel like drinking or drugs consuming is the only way we're going to experience pleasure or some type of relief right and I totally get it you know I meet people all the time who say they've never been on vacation I'm just like what how is that possible but when you think about it it is very possible and it's the reality for a lot of people especially a lot of people of color who who have tremendous responsibilities taking care of the entire family or who just simply don't have the income to spend on, on pleasure and relief that doesn't include alcohol and drugs. And I totally do agree. Like living life on life's terms and being creative and coming up with solutions to not play into the role that white supremacy and patriarchy has, has given us is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Oh, you think oh, you think that I'm just going to sit here and drink? Matter of fact, I'm going to go on the other side of my town and, and go on a venture and make that a staycation and just see it. Like, you know, they're not expecting us to be creative in how we sort see, seek relief, right? Mm-hmm. They're not expecting us to be creative and saying like, oh my gosh, how can I work less? Or how can I play more in life? So I don't feel the need to escape. So I can yes. just enjoy life on life's terms. They're not expecting us to, to do the, any of that. that and part. I will say that this, um, I will say this, this might sound biased. Oh, well, I don't care. Um, <laughs> black folks are some of the most creative folks ever, right? And just as we come up and think about the coolest sneakers and the coolest outfits and how to do this hairstyle, I have no doubt that we can figure out how to enjoy life in a way where we don't have to escape. It's not going to happen overnight. And Fauna, one of the reasons why I love your story, because you say and you stretch and you say, like, listen, it took me time to, like, come back to, like, reality before I can even, like, really participate in recovery. Like, yeah. you had a moment of where, like, and, I, and actually, can you get into that a little bit? Just because I feel like for a lot of us, there's not no moment to breathe. Like, there's no moment to go into rehab there's no moment to you know 
check out or just like check into yourself and 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 heal and that's why i know for me a lot of the time i remember in early sobriety i feel like i had no i'd rather get drunk get high and then pass out instead of saying i'm not and and pass out and then not go to work for a week instead of saying i'm not going for a week and i'm going to stay in bed and 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 get the rest that i need um you know for me it was like it was easier for me to get quote-unquote rest by being unconscious than making a conscious decision saying no i need a break like i need and i don't mean just a break i mean i need to heal my body like i'm i'm experiencing withdrawal symptoms i need to stop drinking stop doing what i'm doing and just and and really just stay in bed because there were so many times when i got sober that's exactly what i needed you know it would have helped if someone was there watching me and you know how you feel anxiety you feel anxious and you get depressed it would have been nice to have someone there um but really what i needed was to take a break but i couldn't i couldn't lower my ego i couldn't like be honest with myself so because i couldn't consciously say i need a break i was gonna get drunk and get high and then take a break that way which wasn't really a break i was just being unconscious and not going to work yeah (laughs) i feel that though um my beginning stages you know you brought up so many things that are so important to me because one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I when I went to treatment I felt like I was peeking in on this white experience and I was pissed that from my perspective black people didn't have this Mm -hmm. and I was like what this I was like I had no idea just like you said that 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 we are allowed to stop and that we are like for real like black woman i think 101 we i didn't know i was allowed to stop mm-hmm. i didn't know i was allowed to say this is too heavy for me like i can't carry it and i didn't know that there are places that you can go like didn't know that and that's one of the things that i really want to that's why i'm a recovery coach and a recovery advocate because I work treatment. I know this treat, you know, this land and I want more resources for people of color and in areas where we desperately need it. Um, But if you are newly sober and looking and you have Obamacare, Medicaid, Medicare, they now cover treatment. Yeah. So now we, we have no excuse except to just be honest. And that's the hard part, right? It's like, I I had to be forcibly removed from my addiction. So my friends had to come in and sit me down and say, something's really, really wrong with you. And I couldn't even say that. But I broke down crying because one, I was like, oh, thank God somebody notices. Wow. Like, thank God somebody is seeing this because I didn't have the words to say, like, I'm really, really bad. And I had friends, you know, of course, they were, some of them were white and privileged. They knew that addiction, white people have been dealing with this for decades. Like you said, they had the systems in place already. We are the ones now coming Mm. to this game. They've had this deal. So my friend who knew, he was like, you just need, you need to go to a place where they physically remove all substances and they input all these tools. And those are recovery tools. And I had no fucking idea. 
So my little black ass is walking around with a notepad <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, wait. So I take when my mind tells me to do this, mm -hmm. but I know that it's bad for me. I'm supposed to pause mm -hmm. and then take opposite action. And that's actually what's best for me. Like so many tips and tricks and things that help me like, but at the beginning, I was, I was just a mess and it was literally just going from day to day to day, counting my days. I think that's really important. I think when you're really new, you have to celebrate and count your days because it's so easy for us to just be like, ah, you know, this shit ain't for me, like whatever, whatever. But if you really like think about each day and what you got through each day and you're like, I went I woke up from that fucking night sweat mm -hmm. I woke up from those shakes and the this this itchy skin and I called somebody and I told them about how I was feeling and they gave me some suggestions because they're in recovery and I took those suggestions and now I have day three mm. like tracking and celebrating small wins and really leaning in, like we have to remember our brain is rewiring for at least the first year. Like ev all our synapses, all of our neurons, everything in our brain that has been doused in poison is rewiring, refiring, learning how to, your body's even rebalancing your weight. Like and you are a walking Petri dish. <laughs> <laughs> And you you gotta be kind to yourself. Mm. Eat eat this eat the ice cream if you need the yep. ice cream. You know, like take a nap if you need a nap. Call people all day long. Be a burden. Mm -hmm. Be a motherfucking burden because you're saving your life and you're gonna be the friend they always wanted when you get through, you know? And yeah, that's that's what I did. I literally Bro, yo, save my life. <laughs> Wendy, you saved my life. Yeah. Wendy, um, yeah. not the Frosties, though. Oh, no. I'm not a, I'm not like a, uh, a sweet flavored person. So it's, I'm talking about the fries. The fries, the burgers, uh, the chicken nuggets. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say, I understand why some people don't count days, but from what I'm listening to you, what I'm hearing, how many days for you was participating in your recovery? It wasn't like you being idle. It was you participating and right. taking action. And that's really powerful. I like that. Because I, I don't typically count days, but just hearing like I could I could see um how counting days is you participating, you're doing something. You are yeah. you are count, you're conscious. Count count each little thing that you didn't think you could do, hmm. or each thing that was like I would never. Yeah. You know, like for me, it's like when I was born and raised in L.A., I was like, ooh, I would never go to that side of town. <laughs> I, would, I would never go out, you know, without being like laid as hell. Like I, all these things I swore was me. Mm. And in sobriety, like I learned to just like un unlearn, unlearn and like learn these things. And as I did, I'm like, I actually like being out in nature. I actually really like you know, waking up a little earlier than what I was used to. And I actually like going to bed earlier. Mm -hmm. And I really love going to like 
live music and going to concerts and going to show art shows. And like, I love going to sober parties and like all these things that I was like, I would never do that shit, mm-hmm. you know? And so then I'm like, I think those are like little, just to remind ourselves, like, it's not, it's not all supposed to be a struggle. The beginning yeah. is hard, but it's getting you somewhere better. Frana, thank you so much for your readability, honesty, your enthusiasm, your optim. Is it optimism? Yeah, optimism is a word. Optimism. <laughs> like, Fauna, thank you so much. You're just an incredible guest. You are an incredible recovery coach, an rec- incredible person. I am so looking forward to working. Me and Fauna was talking earlier. Just having her, you know, get more involved with the club and do some things in the LA West Coast side. And I'm excited hey, for her. I just feel you. like you, you are, you know, you are, I don't want to say the it recovery girl, but you are. <laughs> <laughs> the it recovery girl and i guess like people can be like what does that mean i don't know someone who's like really just you know sees the importance of community sees the importance of healing together see the importance of like sharing their story and i, I don't like criticize anyone who who isn't isn't at that that stage yet like i was telling fun earlier i get it i totally get it um we're all different people it takes a lot and um the way you do it, Fauna, is just so beautiful to me. And I just can't wait. You know, we're going to, we're ending this episode, but you will be seeing Fauna, um, you know, hopefully in the future uh, in regards to SBGC retreats and um, events, etc., 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 online, etc., etc., etc. This is not <laughs> the end of hearing and seeing Fauna on our platform. And yeah, I just want to thank you so much. Like, you're just, you're amazing. Oh, I want to thank you. You know, I love what you guys do. I love, love, love the community. I've been following y'all. I just, I'm, I'm just magnetically drawn, and um, I, I love the way you interweave what's so important to us in our communities into a recovery and addiction. And it's so much more than just like that word, you know it's healing it's it's all just healing you know we're just we're healing wounds and that makes us so much lighter and freer and more aligned and i'm what i'm excited to see you guys in la i'm excited to be a part of anything that you know that i can be a part of and thank you for having me again i love it so much thank you all right y'all that's it as a reminder we're going to be taking oh my gosh i have a podcast voice that was actually pretty cool let's do it again all right right, (laughs) y'all that's it um as a reminder we will be taking a month-long break a very needed break so we'll come back um on the podcast in february again we have our 5031c status um so if you're listening to this and you want to you know toss us a couple of points it's all appreciated again we're hosting a lot of um in-person events this upcoming year 2023 and just doing other cool stuff to support the club um did i want to say anything else yeah we're also having the dry january campaign coming up in a couple of days make sure you're following us on instagram and our facebook page not the group but you can join the group but i'm specifically talking about the page in this regards and yeah um have a lovely happy super gentle relaxing lovely new year we'll see you 2023 (laughs) bye y'all bye